Hey there, cats and kittens. Yet another pre-podcast announcement from me, Geraldine Quinn. It's a plug. It's always going to be a plug. Let's face it. Okay. 11th of December, Sunday, an early gig about 6pm. I will be launching my album. It's my fifth independent album. I've, I've never got help from anybody apart from crowd funders and occasionally I've begged some money from my parents. Uh, so please come and support independent music. It's a whole show about independent music and the live scene. And if you love music and you love uh, jokes about tinnitus and hearing loss alongside uh, jokes and songs about the peel, then that's this is your show. This is your show. It was supported by Triple uh, R when we first did it and it had a, a wonderful amount of support from the City of Melbourne Arts Grant um, when it was originally produced five or six years ago. So it's taken a long time and we've got there and the uh, the path has been fraught with troubles all along the way, some of which you had to be a supporter of the Possible campaign to believe because they were up to date on all the shit that was going on. But it's happening, it's done, and it will give me a great sense of closure if I can also have an audience that will assist me in paying the band. Uh, Casey Bonetto is involved as well as Sonia Horbelt, Martin Lubrin, Kelly Santon, Ash Smith and the wonderful Mark Jones and I have Oliver Clark supporting. Oliver's on my shortlist of impending guests for this podcast and he really is a fantastic performer as are all the other people I've just named. And in addition to this, you can also get tickets uh, for Swing and Bella Christmas, which is on the 21st, 22nd and 23rd of December at Bella Union, the same place as my album launch, Bella Union. And that uh, is something that's definitely worth booking for. It's Casey Bonetto's gig uh, with a band doing a whole bunch of original Christmas songs and then brutalising a whole bunch of classical Christmas songs in the second half. It books out, book early, the guests are announced. You can buy tickets to all of these events on the 11th of December for my gig and the 21st 22nd 23rd of december for casey uh, casey's gig really but i'm in it uh, at www.bellaunion.com.au book now Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 21 of Bang on the Strillers, the Cabaret Etc. podcast with me, Geraldine Quinn. And who am I going to be speaking to? Well, it's Casey Bonetto. He needs no introduction. I should put a warning at the top of this that we do swear a little bit, and we are talking about the US election, but it's before we realise what was actually going to happen. So you get to hear us discuss what accent does your dog have? Neil Hannon, pre-apocalyptic bliss, aliens, and Wuthering Heights. It's a mixed bag, but then we didn't realise that the world was about to end. Don't forget to book tickets for the album launch of The Last Gig in Melbourne on the 11th of December and to every single night of a swinging Bella Christmas on the 21st, 22nd and 23rd of December. It might be your last chance to enjoy yourselves. I'm pretty good there, but I might just want to go and slam the door so that... Yeah. Oh, you, if you need to do that, that's fine. Which tends to let Abby the dog know. What happened? She's been locked out of access to the house. Oh, right. So what's Abby's voice? If Abby was talking like a human, what's her, would she have an accent? Uh, I think Abby would have a country accent. Abby's a rural. She? Uh, she's a <laughs> rescue dog, so she would have a rural accent, but it would be, uh, I think it would be generous. I think it would be a generous rural accent, like a helpful, oh, you know. How's it going? It's all right out here. <laughs> my, my friend Laurie's got a dog that all he thinks got a West Country kind of mummer set, kind yeah. of an accent because he's really he's he's kind of he's kind of thick and everything. It's I, like oh I, I like you though. Oh hello, <laughs> I'd like to give you a lick. No, no, Abby's very um. I, I think uh, the Australian rural experience would have rubbed off on her. I, um, yeah, I'm seeing a rural accent. But she's the sort of person who would be like, I went, I did a gig in Zeehan in. Tasmania and Zian, where's Zian in Tasmania? Near, I think it. I don't think it's a million miles from Burnie, oh, which yeah. is where Josh right. Earl so comes sort from. Sort of northwest. I think so. Yeah, it's small and um, a mining sort of a place. And and yeah. I, I came, we came a bit early, and we had a look at the venue and had to make a few changes. And and there was an op shop, and of course I gravitate to op shops, and that's I imagine that Abby would be the kind of woman that we met in that op shop because we went in there, and she said, "Oh, you're oh you're the singer," <laughs> and I was like, "What?" She said, "Yeah, yeah, you're the you're the singer." 
there's going to be, yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, we're performing a bit later. He said, well, I'll, I'll be coming with my daughter. Don't worry about that. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well, just, and she was knitting while this conversation was going on, of course, booties. And, um, and yeah, and she's, I said to her, look, I'm a little, I do swear a little bit in it. And she went, no, you won't. I said, well, I do a bit. She went, no, you won't. Now, do you think that means that she's policing you or do you think that means that she's saying that no matter what you say, she's not going to hear the swear words? Oh, yes. You know? Uh, I don't know. If I had of, if I had of heard in the middle of a song um, that that phrase and perhaps imagine her with her hands clapped over her ears like, not, not happening, yeah, then yeah. I wouldn't have been very surprised. This is not here. I'm not here. <laughs> I'm still, I'm back at the shop. I'm still in the shop. <laughs> Would you like this? <laughs> it looks lovely. $2.50. Yeah. This isn't an interview. This is just talking bullshit. Yes. So yes. if you're looking at me expectantly to lead it. I'm no, in, no, no, I'm no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just leaning forward to the mic. I do that. Uh, I like to get in close to the microphone. <laughs> hey, thanks for doing it, though. Well, that's all right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a delight. I've, I've listened to many episodes of Bang on the Strillers. Oh, thanks. Casey Bonetto, whose name I haven't said till now. <laughs> but I do usually do a stupid introduction, so I'll be fine. Um, yeah, I th- that's been, it's been just a lot of work. <laughs> I'll cut this bit out. But fucking hell. Okay, hang on. <laughs> that's an edit point there. Oh! No wonder it's so much work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I've got I've gotten used to that now. Just do something that makes the graph go bam, 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 so you can just look at the thing and go. That's where it is. There it is. Oh God, I'm an idiot. I do do things in the hard way <laughs> quite a lot. But yeah, um, we should talk about what day we're actually podcasting on. Yes, there's a lot going on. Yes, this is uh, this is being recorded at uh well i guess it's about 10:30 a.m. on november the 9th 2016 if you're discovering this in the future <laughs> in the rubble of some smoking yeah, charred yeah, rubble the smoking charred rubble of what used to be a civilization somewhere near here <laughs> this is uh, probably one of those very rare sort of rosetta stone recordings because this is from the very last day before it all went absolutely... Well, the day that it all went absolutely tits up. It's going to be tits up, tits sideways. The tits will be everywhere. Yeah. No matter which way it goes, yeah. there's a lot of tits in the air right now. There are. And, and they're going to fall. And there's there's been no sign on the part of um, uh, Trump thus far that he's interested in going quietly into the good night and going, yeah. well... Okay, graceful concession speech. I guess, you know, more people voted for the other person than for me. We haven't seen much evidence of that personality at all. But if, uh, if sorry, this is, this is more detail about the 2016 election than you really want to go into weeks after the fact. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's beautiful here in Melbourne anyway. Yeah. There's no sign of, um, yeah. of, of a it's broomstone. Like, it's like 8.30am on September the 11th, 2001 in New York. The, the sky is blue, the sun is shining. Oh, man. Why did you draw that analogy? I just had to because... Oh, God. That's where we are. Oh, my um, god! In any case, so we are perched on the precipice of some kind of history of one kind or another. Yes. Uh, you, dear future listener, know <laughs> we are ignorant. You have the upper hand. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, in another very real sense, we have the upper hand, don't we? Oh, God. Listen to us frolic in our innocence. I know. Like, we, we still think we've got a future. Yeah. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't say that very often. No. <laughs> it's um, I'm going to be pleased when people stop to, not stop talking about it. I don't like when people go, "Oh, I just want, I just want to stop yeah. talking about it." Yeah. But also, there's just been such fury. Yeah, yeah. And people's opinions with our new world of social media, people's opinions, they just surprise you sometimes. Some people's opinions. But the the um. I think the nature of social media has kind of led to Trump, you know, the the, mm. the the ability for someone to be as really unstudied in most of the stuff as he is and just be colourful and colourful sort of equals uh, a profile, equals mm. a public profile and, and some kind of legitimacy. That's uh, what I find probably most terrifying, I think, yeah. is that I kind of got – I was brought up to try to be critical but yeah. to have 
well, thorough that's, research. That's the thing. That it, it's the absence of critical thought. And I'm sure I've been mm. as guilty of it as, as, as anyone else over the course of this election campaign at different times because I just, you know, at certain points I just go, you know what, I don't want to tolerate an opposition opinion here because I think it's creating false equivalence. Oh, yeah. This, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm not going to do equal times reading on on how uh, you know Clinton's uh, policy on foreign intervention may or may not be good, or Trump's policy on foreign intervention may or may not be good, because I don't believe Trump knows where the countries he's talking about are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen sort of various pieces of that in the debates and all that sort of stuff. Is, so I'm I'm not willing to give that equal time, which is, but that's the kind of. Uh, thinking that I think has been right across the board, that folks are fed things by their certain media outlets and they say, right, okay, well, that's what we believe. Yeah. And they don't look at, you know, if, if I'm fed something by a leftist thing that says Clinton is great and everything's great and she's perfect and all that sort of stuff, I want to read against the grain. I want to say, what aren't you telling me? What aren't you dealing with in this story? And yeah. that, that, that skill doesn't seem to be um, very well advanced. No, well... <clears throat> Generally speaking, across the board, I, don't, I think that we're, we've, we're really losing that because it used to just bug me when you'd go, oh, it's my opinion, so it can't. I, had, I did literature in high school and that was a long time ago now. And, and we, I remember we had one student who didn't understand that she couldn't interpret Wuthering Heights any way she wanted. She had to, had to find the evidence in the text. Yeah, yeah. And, and had to be taught that by our, our teacher, very gen- who did it very gently. Yeah. But she just didn't get it. She's like, but it's it's literature, so I should just, it's my opinion. It, it counts. So like, no, but you need to find. There needs to be supporting evidence. You, have, be, you have the text yeah. and that's all you've got. And that's where it's a really good analogy because in literature, that's all you've got is that text yeah. to support your argument. Whatever you choose to argue, there's a limit to the amount of words on those pages yeah. in that book. That's right. You can't suddenly say, "Well, this is this is born out in chapter thirteen, where Heathcliff is abducted by the aliens," and say, say "Well, no, you can't add bits to chapter 13. <laughs> well, and that brings up another thing that I often have this this issue with, which is, which I think I'd be interested to find out what your opinion of it is: is the artist versus the work that they do. Mm. So there's a lot of artists that I like and writers and etc. who have got some dodgy crap going on. Evelyn War's my favourite author, I would say. Yeah. And he was, a, by all reports, a thoroughly unpleasant person a lot yeah. of the time. Um, and there's some really dodgy stuff in some of his early work because of the the timing of when it was written. Yeah. And pa- Pablo Picasso is something of an arsehole, <laughs> uh, apparently. Um, but yeah, like it's, I just, it feels very strange when somebody... I don't know, when someone dies or something and then suddenly everyone, again, jumping up and down on social media going, oh, well, they weren't that perfect. So nobody, you know, no one is. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to, you can excuse it. Yeah, I, I, I'm rarely as interested in, um, I mean, I, I get interested in the person, in the artist by virtue of the art. Do you mm. know what I mean? If, if they do... Something really good, I say, oh, that's an interesting piece of art. If they do something, I see something else of theirs that's really good. Then I start to become interested. Okay, where is this coming from? Who is this person? Because these are uh, several interesting concepts coming mm-hmm. out of this person. They're showing, so, you know, so so what's their, uh, what's their backstory and all that sort of stuff. But I'm kind of suspicious of the profile of the person being too integrated with the work because the I, I think it becomes a, a pimping... A device for pimping the show. Let, let's talk about Lin Manuel Miranda's backstory, and this is where he grew up, and all that sort of stuff. I say, no, I want to go into a work of art and know nothing except curtain down, you know, or sort of curtain up, lights go down, it begins, and I want that that to be a, a journey that can take me anywhere. Yeah, and I, I feel like knowing too much about the artist can sort of queer the pitch a little bit, can have you sort of moving towards. Uh, I think some of the uh, most intelligent actors in the Hollywood system, for instance, are those who really background themselves, you know, do a Jodie Foster and then put the screen up. And I know that's born out of the John Hinckley thing, but 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 there are plenty of actors who's, you know, I don't want to be known as personality and actor so-and-so because when I pop up next on your screen as as, you know, the Venezuelan... Uh, arms dealer. I want you to believe that I'm the Venezuelan arms dealer and not be sitting there going, oh, look, that's Brad Pitt. 
Oh, I was actually thinking of Jodie Foster as a Venezuelan arms dealer oh, right. just then. But well, um, I'd like that. <laughs> I think she'd make a good Venezuelan arms dealer. Um, I, think I, th- I think I just said arm dealer. I'm not sure, but, you know. Hey. Even better. Yeah. Who's making that movie? Really? I know. I know. What the, are you looking for, man? A forearm? <laughs> for a forearm? Something like that, yes. Yeah. But um, I would love to be that person. I'd love to not have to do all that stuff. And just sort of, but the, the, and you kind of have to now, especially if you're independent, you have to do all the social media stuff to try to kind of say, hey, this thing I'm yeah, doing yeah. is here. Um, so I think I ended up kind of trying to take the Dave Allen approach to it, who, you know, it was about the perception of his lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, so he would sit in the Dave Allen, the um, late, great Irish storytelling comedian, yes. for those who don't remember who he Back is. Back in the days when smoking was still allowed on television. <laughs> yeah, and he would, he would sit there. And drinking. And, yeah, and he would have his, what looked like his scotch, and apparently it was, it was never a scotch. No. But it was, but he, you got to kind of have that, okay, well, that's my... That's the perception of me. That's right. That's, so, the, that's the persona. I'm yeah. going to be. This is this is Dave Allen, the public figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in comedy that works. That works well. Yeah. Because um, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Comedy is kind of that. It's kind of a funny thing where you've got to. It's you. Yeah. If you're not play, if you're not doing character comedy, it's it's a version of you. Kind of standing on the stage, yeah. and so playing that little role. That's right. Kind you, of game. You, it's definitely you. Sort of there's there's a degree to which you're playing with fire because you are all transgressing that line. Mm. You don't quite have that separation. And I mean, for comedy, I think for stand up more than anything else, because you're standing on a stage with a microphone talking, and there is no um, uh, delineation between someone doing that and someone doing that in a crowd, other than the microphone yes. and the stage. You know. Um, so you're you're sharing your opinions freely with the crowd, uh, and they might be the opinions of your character or yeah. the script that you've written, but of course, folks are going to confuse that with you, mm. the person. Mm. And I think the most interesting uh, way to get around that is to create those personas, uh, but rather than becoming trapped in them, to to um, to keep them on the move. Go, this this persona is going to be this, that persona is going to be... Now I want to do this kind of thing and it would be better if that kind of show... You know, my next show is going to be a high, larks, you know, knees up, happy, free kicking. So it would be best if the persona that was selling that show was this character and then do that character. Bowie did that brilliantly, of course. He was sort of like, okay, now this is the alien and this is the, you know... The Thin White Duke and this is the, you know, the... What was the um, serious Moonlight Bowie? Oh, um, he was very fit, that's all I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Like, he... but, but that, again, he, I, there, I don't think there was a name for that character. It was just no. kind of, that's just David Bowie. But it wasn't. It was him going, let yeah. me do the, the, you know, like Springsteen around the same era, doing Born in the USA and putting on the white T-shirt and the jeans and going, here I am, the All-American, you know. Okay, there's that character. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the persona that he's selling for that project, but that's not the whole story. And I like that. I like the notion of uh, someone taking an aspect of their personality and going, all right, for this project, this aspect of my personality, we're blowing up and going big with that. Well, and then it know? doesn't feel like you need to just be this one thing. Like when, no. when, you, when you're quite um, – when you are interested – your interests are very broad yeah. across different art forms as well as different kinds of music or whatever, then, yeah. yeah, sometimes you can feel a bit like, oh, no, if I set myself up as this, I'm going to be stuck doing this the yeah. whole time. Yeah. Everyone's going to think, that's me. But the, I think the more – brazen you make those interventions into particular personas the more and the more sort of even colorful the more trumpish the more whatever they can be the less chance there are that people will confuse them with you the question then would be uh do you then do they then lose potency if folks go oh that's just a fake you're just playing that role yeah as opposed to a uh say carl pilkington um with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant doing his uh, his sort of an idiot abroad, his uh, uh, you know, which is clearly a character to some degree, but no one knows quite to what degree. <laughs> Could be him, but he, it's clearly not because some of the situations he finds himself in, it would be impossible for that character to get into that. You know, you would have to demonstrate some self awareness in order to get to that place. 
Do you not think that that kind of multitasking, that breadth of, of, of presenting yourself perhaps fights against the way the Australian arts industry tends to work? Popular arts industry. Uh, it probably does because, I mean, it probably, or I, you could go further than Australia and I think probably all Western, like commercialised yeah. art culture, arts culture does because um, they want what you had on the tin. Yeah. Oh, we want to cast you in this new thing. Mm. Therefore, the reason why we want to cast you in this new thing is we really liked what you did last time. Can mm. you do that again? And you see so many folks doing, um, certainly acting has a very uh, clear uh, sign of someone who, you know, so we need sort of nerdy scientist, fast talking, slightly uncomfortable guy. And Jeff Goldblum was doing that well in that and that and that and that. So let's cast him in this doing more or less the same character. Mm. And that's character actors, you know, that's what they provide. But but I think as an artist, particularly as an artist who's writing their own stuff, it's really interesting. But you've had... Um, the, the character that you presented on stage in Stranger is a very different uh, character than you presented on stage in, in um, uh, MDMA, which again is a very different character to the character you present in Shut Up and Sing. Mm. You know, the even the even the last show this year, I sort of went when the song started to form, I was like, oh, I've got to play it like that now. Yeah, that's um, right. To make that to make that read. Yeah. That's and that's right. different again to me doing a gig at the local with a guitar because yeah. I've I've realized I can't be this fever pitch Geraldine in that that space it's too small it's a monday night it's um yeah it's it's a great room Janet obviously um but uh, and it's part of it's, the exchange that is happening is that is that intimacy and it's that intimate everyone's it's people coming sitting in close. on couches so if you come on and go like this everyone goes what what's happening why why are you why, why do you feel the need to perform in my face when we should be having a little conversation, you know? And then there's other things where if you if you came on and to do the little intimate conversation and it's your show, an audience is going to be going, um, where's where's the show? We did an outdoor gig the other week and it was it was that you have to, there's no way around it. You've just got to ringmaster the whole thing. Yeah. But but then, like two or three days later, I'm sitting and I'm sitting on a stool with my microphone boom stand slowly sagging while I'm trying to play a guitar that's now out of tune because <laughs> all yeah. the strings have contracted, and just kind of going, yeah, I don't really know what I'm saying. I just want to have a talk about this, and yeah. that's fine. And yeah, because yeah. it just it, it, it weirdly took a long time to learn that too. Yeah, you know. To oh, I think I'm still learning it, and I still find myself tripped up by it regularly. I will go in and do, and. Um, uh, MC a thing at a large event and think, well, what I kind of want to do here is just sort of, I don't want to force myself on the night because everyone's talking and all that sort of stuff. So I'll just, I'm just going to kind of creep in at the side and just very quietly with the <laughs> band, you know, we'll start doing something and, be, and it's sort of like, no, that's the wrong approach. If, if you're doing something that you need to present to the audience and make sense of occasion and all that sort of stuff. You just got to bite the bullet and go out and yeah, I am going to interrupt everyone because this is the event. This is the start of the night, you know? Uh, and then there are other events where you, where you have that in your mind. I'm going to go out and go like that. And they are, as you say, events where you really should be just um, uh, sneaking quietly in the side door with, with sun, not sunglasses on because really, ugh. but uh, with, uh, <laughs> You know, in your casual clothes and getting up on stage and going, yeah, uh, yeah, hi, everyone. How's yeah. it going? Yeah, and sometimes you feel like you've been – you have to try to work out why they've chosen you. Yeah. Which which you they've chosen. For and gig. and that nightmare of um, uh, self-examination and, and self-consciousness that that leads to can lead you in the wrong direction all the time on the stage. Mm. I, I, I find that it is so easy to start listening to the voice in your head going – they're not really buying that. Maybe they're not really buying this number. Quick, maybe we need to get out of this number and jump across to that. Maybe we've got to do And it's sort of like uh, having the courage of your convictions is one of the the difficult things to execute on stage, I find. Yeah. yeah. I have to tell myself sometimes, don't change it now. Don't yeah. change it. Yeah. Do, do what you planned. Because then you have a, a – a, yeah. And it's a, another thing, another aspect in which that uh, often presents itself, I think, is when folks say, what will be funny – is if I come out, if I come out on stage and I sing a very serious song about, uh, he said, looking around the room, <laughs> uh, an Ottoman. I sing a very serious song about an Ottoman. If I come out, you know, come out in the room, and that will really work. And you start doing it, and of course, it's 
not getting immediate laughs because you're singing a very serious song about the Ottoman. And the funny thing is the entire idea of you singing a serious song about an Ottoman. You know, like that's the gag. Mm. Andy Kaufman style gag maybe in, in the sense that it's, it's just meant to be disorienting, but a gag nonetheless. And you start doing it and you get about a verse in and a chorus in and of course it's not getting laughs and you start to go, oh, maybe I, maybe I should really be making fun of this guy who's singing a song about an Ottoman. And suddenly you're seeing, you're a guy singing a, you're doing a parody of a guy singing a song about an Ottoman and you've lost the point of the gag. In the, the, the whole point of the gag was that this guy comes on and does a serious song about an Ottoman and it's weird and that's funny. And then midway through, you've lost the courage of your convictions and you start going, you know what, I'm going to make fun of this guy character who I am singing this song about an Ottoman and you've thrown it away in the yeah. process. You've, you've, you've thrown away the point of doing that song in the first place and you're also... Um, it's, it's not an inspired choice because the audience was like, I was just starting to get what you were doing and now you're you're deliberately tearing it down to no comedic effect as well. Yeah. So I, I, I find those, that can be really uh, difficult to navigate. Yeah. Well, you're, um, you're hosting, how many years has it been with the Wheeler Centre end of year show? Show of the year. Show um, of the year. This is uh, number four. Four? I think, yes. Ah, that's sweet. Yeah, which is lovely and it's been really good. Uh, show of the year is uh, that the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne put on and it's um, uh, it's at the Athenaeum Theatre and a bunch of performers come on and do uh, about five minutes each on... Each month? Uh, on a particular month of the year. Yeah. The, the, the original ideal was that, you know, it'll go for about an hour and there'll be 12 people who come out and do about five minutes. But, you know, five to eight minutes. Yeah. And sometimes you look down at, uh, like, uh, I mean, two, we're looking at 2016 at the moment and different people have been chosen for different months, including your good self. Yes. Um, but uh, there are, sometimes you look down at certain months and go, and what happened in, you know, June 2016 and you look down and... I turned 41. Well, obviously that was what we were leading with. That's, yes. But... Um, wasn't in the papers. They tried to keep it quiet. Yeah, it, it's no rigged. one believes. It's rigged. I'm, the whole no system believes rigged. that I'm 41. That's yep. like, and I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you to talk about me? <laughs> I'm very so sorry. Uh, but there, I, I think it was June or July where you've got the Australian election and Brexit, and uh, you know, there's this list of of world events, and you're looking at it going, well, we need if it's not the show of the year if we don't cover those events. So sometimes you end up with multiples stacked up in one month. And then other months where you're sort of like, you know what? That was a bit of a blah month. Nothing really happened. Let's Is there a song in that? Is there a song in that thing of like, you know, if things just getting worse, like keep shifting. Like you thought this was the worst thing that could ever happen. This is terrible. It can't possibly get. Oh, fuck. Yeah, now well, it's this. And then just keep ramping it up musically. I think, I think. Um, I'm if, not suggesting you write it for that. I was just oh, thinking. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking if, if there was a year for that song, then. 2016 thus far has proven to Holy be it. Holy shit. Um, so stupid. It's I, I, stupid. I, I did like the... Um, Fuck. Uh, 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 again, another thing on Twitter, I can't remember who posted it, um, someone saying um, uh, pub quiz, pub trivia quiz, uh, you know, twenty. the year is 2030 pub trivia quiz. Quizmaster, what year did someone in the audience... 2016. <laughs> it's always 2016. <laughs> A song for Swinging Bella Christmas. For Swinging Bella Christmas, which, which is will be great fun. Years? Uh, no, it's not that long. That's the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre's fourteen years. Yes, yes, Asylum Seekers will be fourteen years. No, Swinging Bella started as very Bella Christmas in I think two thousand seven. That's still I can't do maths now. Yeah, nine. Thank oh, you. Oh no, this is the tenth one. There's a seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, tenth twelve. One. Seven, yeah, it will be the tenth. That's exciting. And it's the I want to say fifth, no, fourth swing in Bella Christmas, I think, with the horn section and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. It's a show that we do, should say, it's a show that we do uh, at Bella Union every Christmas uh, where we have, um, you know, a special guest each night or, or two 
and uh, Geraldine's co-hosted it with me for the last uh, for well, this is your third year co-hosting. This is my third year. I remember from which of my costumes I fit into. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, we do uh, a set first of of either sort of contemporary songs about Christmas or original songs about Christmas, and then a set of carols being pulled apart mercilessly on the on the. On, on the rack. Yes. Um, pro- probably the most infamous of which was during a rehearsal, a joke about changing the key for every tw- of the t- one of the 12 oh, things yes. of Christmas. A joke in yeah. a rehearsal room suddenly became the now, 12, the 12 uh, keys of the Christmas. The 12 keys of Christmas and has been featured two years in a row now. And, 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 and is really horrendous. And, and, and you got uh, such a look in your eye. It was like it was a passing comment and then you just, you get this look <laughs> in your eye and you're like, that can work. And we've all gone, no, Casey, put, put the guitar down. <laughs> but I, I, I love that idea just only because it really is so stupid so and at the same stupid. time musically to do, you're like, you know, 12 drummers drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords are leaping, 9 ladies dancing, 8 maids are milking, 7 swans. And it really becomes impossible to sing when you get into that last little bit and, it, you know, it's going... Four calling birds, three <laughs> French hens, two turtle doves, and, and a partridge in a fair. It's but gr- the audience it, is just sitting there going, what's happening? <laughs> what is this? It just melts on you as you sing it. It's great fun. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, things like that. Or the deck the halls with the last la. Um, oh, relocated. Yes, this- la, 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 la. la. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, great fun, and but but also I've I've really enjoyed doing like angels we have heard on high as a um, uh, Phil Spector, yes, big sixties wall of yeah, sound, yeah, yeah, and um, and Nick Karasavidis last couple of years doing Little Drummer Boy <sighs> from you know from the drums with his funky soulful voice, it's oh, just crazy. He has got a very funky soulful voice. Yeah, uh, a lot of those will be making reappearances this year, and that'll be delightful. I believe. Uh, when's this going out? This will go out and uh, I want to get it out before. Yeah, I want to get out soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in that case, I can probably say by now that the guest on the twenty first of December is Tim Rogers, and that'll be good fun. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see what Tim's got up his sleeve for a Christmas. Song. You might need to warn him that there's not a lot of room on the stage. He's going to have <laughs> for the to, windmill guitar. He's going to have to contain his rock flails <laughs> just a, a little bit, or one of us is going to get injured. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all there. It's all there. We want to mix it. It's going to be good fun. Life's so complicated. It's very strange. It's very strange being older now. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you put the er uh, on it. I did because I know because I know you tell me off if I start getting too into this weird headspace. But yeah, like my sister's uh, uh, like fifty. How old is she now? She's fifty three yes. next week. I turned forty seven on Monday. Oh my god! I missed your birthday. There you go. Happy I don't, birthday! I, I don't put it on. Thank you very much. I don't put it on Facebook or anything like that. So. Uh, oh, they won't know when. What? They, oh well, no, they will know because now everyone's going to know because we talked about the election. Everyone's going to know, but they're not going to put it down. They, okay. they won't remember. Okay. Um, there used to be these things called birthday books, right? And they actually yeah. were a really good idea because you had all the dates um, uh, and there's no day on there. It's like a diary with no days yeah. and you just write down when people's birthdays are. It's good. Um, and uh, the modern thing of just, just chucking it or just chucking it into the phone is a good thing too. That's that's helping me with the nieces and nephews because I never remember. Oh, yeah, my heart bleeds. <laughs> How many have you got? <laughs> Four. Four. You've got fucking four. <laughs> what did you go to just this week? No, today. Today. She's having a caesarean today, number 20. 20, not just my one sister. Like, uh, but the, if 20. If one sister, she'd be extremely busy. Very busy. Um, that's a great euphemism, busy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I was actually I was driving here and I was thinking about it because I think she went into hospital at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so the baby's probably out now, I don't know. Um, but I was suddenly thinking, yeah, I've got six siblings or seven of us talk about this all the time. It's part of my thing. It's part of the character. Yeah. And then went, oh, hang on a minute. Maths. That means I'm the only one in my family with 20 nieces and nephews because yes. I don't have children. Yeah, none of your own count into the 
the telly. That's right. Yeah. So I am special in another way. That's right. You're the auntiest of the lot of them. I'm more auntie-uncle-y than any of those bastards. That's right. That's yes. right. Yes. That's mind-boggling. I think you should get a T-shirt that just says the auntiest. I'll do it. I'll do it today, and then I'll turn up at the hospital. Queen Auntie. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, if I, it's like a queen. It's like an ant. It's like the queen ant. That's right. The queen the aunt. Hell. But I'm queen, queen aunt. Aunt. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, this is going somewhere. <laughs> this is good. I could probably get you know new enterprise scheme loan out of this one. I think, but it's a limited market, being only <laughs> me. But, but, but hey, hey. Hey, think big. No, there would definitely be folks who had siblings who who don't have children themselves but their siblings could oh, both yeah. do and they could proclaim themselves Queen Aunt. I think because when people get really gobsmacked at how many of us there are, yeah. I feel like, oh, but, you know, I feel automatically like all the rest of my siblings are in the same boat. So it's not just me. We've all, we all grew up in a big family. But now, now that I'm thinking about the 20 thing, it's like, no, that is just me. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I don't remember their birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the phone's for. You put it in the phone so it goes ding. Uh-huh. You're going to be going ding. Christ, another one. <laughs> My phone will melt down. Yeah. Like physically. There's first the software will go, then it will catch fire, and then it will just throw in the towel and say, look, I'm becoming sentient and getting the fuck out of here because <laughs> I can't cope with how much breeding is going on right now. Do you not realise it's the end of the world? Why do you keep breeding? What is happening? What is the drive? <laughs> what is the fucking drive? It's time for a break. That means we're in the middle of the episode. And so we know that there's another motherfucking half to go. <sighs> Sorry about that. Hey there, cats and kittens. It's at this point that Casey decided to check 538 and to see how the election results were going. And and suffice it to say, as you'll be able to tell from the next couple of sentences, it wasn't looking too good. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, listeners, here we are in this moment. What's he going to say? What's going to happen? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Anyway, so away from the election. Oh, yeah. It's just... I don't know what I think about politics anymore. I kind of feel like, look, it's a game to a degree. We know that it's a game to a degree. And so... But I don't know. I don't don't know whether people think that they're ever going to... They expect a perfect person. They expect everything to go right. I I mean, I think there's a real sense of disenfranchisement. Real sense of disenfranchisement in the um, uh, in the uh, middle of the US, uh, and I think it really is almost that simply geographical of of the folks who have been shut out by globalization. Oh yeah, um, and that's a very legitimate protest vote and a very legitimate reason for for you know wanting to choose something other than the status quo. Uh, but uh, but my God, Trump. What a, what a choice! Yeah, on the status quo to to go for him. But uh, it's the same but here. But it's the same here. It's like it's like when Gillard got in, and the treatment that she had, and and when there were people who were supporters of hers who would then sort of go, oh yeah, but she said she did this and caved on this, and I've been let down. And you're going, yeah, but she sort of had a she was in a pretty fucked situation yeah. and had to play a few things. Obama to the to some degree as well. There was yeah, like yeah. the no, Senate's all stacked that, against yeah. you and. This thing of I remember being in um, I think I talked about this on another podcast um, episode, but being in the UK and a f- an English friend of mine saying at, when the Gillard um, thing happened when Rudd got kicked out, and him going oh but they didn't vote for it. And it's like yeah but you know you're a cunt if you didn't vote for the <laughs> party yeah. you just voted for the person yeah yeah like that's not how it fucking works that's not what, yeah. It is, you know, it is a team, yeah. and this is just the this is the figurehead. Yeah. This is the thing that's got to focus the, the, these. The these only people ideas. that voted for Kevin Rudd are the people who were actually in his electorate and voted directly for him as a member. 
Adelaide or somewhere like that. I was doing a gig the night that Tony Abbott got kicked out and I was with Damien Callanan and we were in a winery somewhere, <laughs> beautiful, and, and we just were like, oh, we, we know this isn't perfect, but it's so much better. It feels better somehow. But, yeah, now here we are. Who was it? Um, uh, was it Mark Trevorrow who is actually, you know, who plays um, uh, Bob, Bob Down? Down, yeah. Who was actually in New York. Uh, as Tony Abbott got kicked out, and Gillard was as well. No, uh, and they ended up meeting up. <gasps> really? Like that. I think so. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure because it was sort of like, ah, where are you guys? Oh, we're in New York. All That's right. a dream team, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the smiles. One of the rare occasions when Mark Trevorrow's smile may not have been the widest one in the yeah. room. <laughs> it's just been so. I mean, it's been so mad here for the last couple of years as well. Mm. State of the world at the moment. We'll see where it all ends up. Yeah. But let's get back to talking about wonderful cabaret. I What's, feel like I've been boring. Talk, talk to me about... Uh, what? Uh, ask me questions. What do you want to know? What, what's the next project, Geraldine? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I did... I, I, okay. All right, the next project... Oh, by the way, if you, hear, if, if you hear something that sounded like me growling... <laughs> It's the dog. It is the dog. It's Abby the dog. <laughs> she's just she's up on my lap and going. She's not entirely sure she wants to be up on my lap. Think I am doing comedy festival again, and and I getting back on that horse. I know. I know. I know. Look at my face. I don't. Uh, but I only did three shows of the last show I wrote, and mm. so I sort of felt like I got a bit of fear of missing out. This is uh, Fox Ponsing. Fox Ponsing, yes. Um, so it's banned again, um, which yeah. is always a big, a big investment, but 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 good. Yeah. Like it's it's these are songs that I I think I would find hard to do with the backing track thing. I remember I got a review uh, once. It was of MGMA, and they really liked the show. And the only complaint that they had was the backing tracks. Yeah. And just going, oh no, no, the songs deserve better than this. And they they were quite rude about them, which was unfair because Steve had done actually a really amazing job. Yeah. But and it is. I understand that some folks feel that way about in the in the sort of cabaret environment too. They they're sort of mm. like, I want I want live music in the room. I want to you know. Yeah, but it's just not. It's just not practical. Yeah. You yeah. just you can't it's not tour that commercially sort of stuff. possible. It isn't possible, and that's the thing. I've since working with well, really with you with with you're the voice from then. That's when it's like, well, I've got the only chance I've got to tour any of this stuff is to invest enough into having good sounding backing tracks because I can't do gigs. I write stuff I can't play. Yeah, you know, people. I'm not sometimes not surprised to ask if I write my own songs because I I can't play them on the guitar. But I can sort of fudge out the demos. Yeah. For some of them, I mean. Yeah. I can play guitar. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pretty solid functional rhythm guitarist. Okay, guys. It's just that <laughs> when I get more ambitious and I get on the keyboard, I can't, I can't play that. Yeah. Um. That's well, what... I can't play a lot of uh, the stuff that uh, that even in the demos that I do that I appear to play. I just sort of arrange it on the on the grid lines. You know, draw it in. Yeah, I mean, the, you've got drumming in your background though. That's that's um, that helps with that, your rhythm subdivisions and all that sort of stuff. We sat in your your study for hours and hours and hours in 2011, and you did all this amazing work. And just being able to watch you build it, I reckon my learning curve went whoop, just. And, but the drums is the biggest thing because you haven't got the right loop for something. Yeah, you have to build it, and yeah. I just don't know where to start with that. And you're like. You're going, oh, okay, we want to kick here and we want this here and you're moving these little dots across the screen and I just went, oh, that's somebody who, who knows because they play. But one thing that's uh, that uh, in that respect, one thing that I think is uh, increasingly exciting when I go to uh, write tunes uh, and particularly when I'm looking for beats on a particular style that I don't know that well is to just go online, go on Google and say, okay, uh, drum patterns, samba drum patterns. Yeah, and just call up some sheet music of a samba drum pattern, and then program that samba drum pattern into the into your your uh, software. You know, your digital audio workstation, whatever it is, your Cubase or your GarageBand or your uh, whatever it is. Other brands are available. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. No endorsement <laughs> is intended or should be inferred. Um, and uh, you can. Um, uh, program it in and hear it live, you know, by virtue of just following what the what the sheet music says about where the hi hat goes and where the, the kick drum goes. And you just duplicate that live and then um, 
and then just listen back to it and go, oh, I yeah, think it's very adorable that you think I can read sheet music. Well, um, I, I, <laughs> I barely can. Like, I'm, I'm not a sight reader. I've, um, I'm not one of those people that can have music put in front of them and, and just go, you know, can you sing this melody line? I know I can't. I did love it when you told me once that you actually had a little project where you sat down and you wrote out and worked out the intervals for all your songs. Was it that, was that what it was? I mean, it really taught you a lot about what you tend to go for in your structures. Yeah, well, I've, I got that I, wrong. I've, 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 I've done a bit of that, but but uh, when it comes to sheet music, the thing I, I tend to um, uh, I, if if I have to sing something and I don't know the tune that well, you know, oh. if it's someone else's tune, yeah, I go and. Um, I write out the intervals in in numbers, you know, in in that sort of, you know, one, two, minor third, major third, no, Abby, don't use the squeaker. (laughs) That's not going to be good for the podcast. That's great. (laughs) All right. Well, that squeaking sound in the background is Abby playing with her squeaker. (laughs) (laughs) The most irritating podcast sound in history. Abby, no, stop it. Oh, she doesn't want to drop it. She doesn't. I've got it now. Oh, sorry, Abby. I'm. I'm. I've ruined your day. Oh, she's just... now she's sitting very, very obediently, saying, "Where'd my squeaker go?" Yeah, it's it's something that I feel like I need to sit down and do. Actually, just sort of get stuff written up, or or even get someone to write it up as sheet music. I had somebody say yeah. to me, "You should," because. You know, a, a younger cabaret person was like, if, if you got your own songs up and you had the sheet music written up, you could actually, you know, do something with that. And there are, I mean, I, I always enjoy the process of actually writing stuff in as sheet music when I do it. Um, I don't do it very often, but uh, using Sibelius or programs like that, which are actual mm. sheet music notation things. And I, in the process of doing that, I sort of go, oh, I could, I could see how you could get into this. I see how this could be a, a thing that you could be composing on your on your sheet music and all that sort of stuff. But well, uh, it's just an alien world to me because I come from sort of bands. I come from the, I was playing in bands in the nineties, you know, doing the, uh, in in a fairly limited way, but doing the the sort of pub circuit nineties unemployed musician thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where my background comes from in terms of uh, uh, live music it's it's you do it with a band it's what it's why uh, for instance when we did Keating mm. um, there are no there's no sort of orchestral charts for no. Keating uh, I mean I think there have been some that have made in retrospect but but there were never any given to the band the band just got uh, your standard sort of chord chart lead sheets you know yeah F for two bars, D7 for a bar, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, which is the thing about when you're writing up your guitar sort of chords and lyrics and things, you have to know the song. Just, yeah. yeah. you, you yeah. just got to be familiar with the song. Oh, and it, But it's also that that experience of that you can write the song and you can play it on an acoustic guitar and say, yeah, there is the song. The song exists. You know, the song is definitely written. But now we're going to play it and we want to play it in a soul feel. Mm. Well, I want... You know, if I'm working with a band, I want to be able to draw on everyone's expertise, and I want everyone to feel like they they're getting to put their thing on it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's I want right. everyone to be able to feel like, yeah, well, you know, we're having fun. We're part of this. We're part of this show. You know, digging it. Well, you, yeah, that you've, you're you're there because um, that person likes what you do, rather than you're there because we need that spot. Filled. Yeah, we do. It, you're not a sort of a, a a placeholder, a warm body that just is meant to sit there and sort of blindly parrot the notes. So yes. I, I really, to me, that that um, uh, participation is is really important and, and also really fun. That's that's the stuff that makes makes a groove really take off, and uh, it's also the stuff that's the most um, fun to feel in a room because if everyone's sharing their love of music, that's that's what it's all about, and it's infectious. Yeah, well. The and that was is... that was true of the drowsy drivers, and it was um, true of the Belvoirs as well up in Sydney, and uh, both uh, incredible sets of musos who who love to play together, and uh, you know, and who love to um, share musical ideas and and uh, improvise complementary extra bits on top that really you know help make it more uh, uh, bring it to life, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like I just said before, working with a band, it's you pay musicians and it's a massive investment compared to doing it with a 
with a backing track, but um, you keep doing it because it is fun. It's yeah. not. It's not lucrative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, and, and I, I think um, uh, you might, if you if you haven't done it, you might not have an impression of just how unlucrative it becomes very quickly. Very quickly. Um, <laughs> because obviously you've got to, you can't ever really pay what they sh- should deserve, you know, what they what they should be getting Absolutely. for their skills and all that sort of stuff because it's just you're not playing venues of that size. You would need to be in a 5,000-seater in order to get uh, enough folks through the door to end yeah. up with enough profit to make sure that uh, they could be um, given appropriate recompense. So you're either... If you're in a smaller venue, you either need lots of funding from a government agency or from another source, mm. or um, or everyone takes less. And mm. generally, everyone knows that, and particularly in Australia, um, uh, there's an understanding that the scene is small. Um, uh, there are there's an oversupply of of creatives probably in the industry because there are. Um, you know, there are 400, you come to comedy festival time, it's it's what, there's 500 shows on. I think so, yeah. And, uh, and so there are hundreds of shows on a night. Uh, there aren't full houses for all of those hundreds of shows. There just aren't enough people who, 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 who want to come out and see that thing. Uh, whether that that is often not a function of the quality of the shows, it's often a function of just, um, you know, population, economics, whatever. You, you So you make that... Uh, Compromise as as Australian artists, you know that that's that's what's going to happen. It's not going to work out. Yeah, and you get you know, and you have those moments where you get a good gig every now and again, and then you know who you're going to call first because yeah, there's that's people right. that you've worked with who've sort of who you, I'm so wish I didn't have to keep saying I know you deserve more. But I <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I can't say it. Um, but also, you might get like a bunch of gigs. So yeah, it's been really great doing um, getting to host upfront for Comedy Festival, which is the all female lineup. And Bridget, um, the associate directors, one of the associate directors, has got us in a few years now. Yeah, and and it's like, oh, this is a really great thing to be able to do, and it also means that um, I can pay you more than I can for my show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You start being able to you, – once you've built a relationship with folks, you can say – and I have it too with, with when, you know, corporates come up, things like that, little gigs that, that are actually reasonably paid because, well, they're one-offs and they're a, they're a, a corporation's Christmas function or something yeah. like that. And you can say, right, I'm going to bring in my bring in my four-piece band and, uh, and everyone's going to get – Rewarded not not outrageously, just appropriately, just yeah. what they what they should actually be getting paid for their skills. Yeah, but that's the only time it really happens. Which is why it's very important to have funding in the arts. Yes, <laughs> and I know that seems like it's a really false. I don't know whether I want, I want to say false economy, but I don't know if I'm just using a buzz phrase because my brain's not quite working. But I, it's just important. It's just yeah. important to have this kind of cultural impact. And to support it, it's an investment, yeah. I think. Yeah. But am I in my bubble? Well, I, I think we, we, we both are to a degree on that because there will be folks who say, well, yeah, but it's an investment, but what does it actually benefit the culture? What, you know, in what way does it benefit the culture? How, and all how, that do, sort we, of stuff? how do we put a worth on these yeah, various? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and there are, you know, aspects. I've certainly seen shows that I've come out of and gone, you know, that didn't benefit my understanding <laughs> of the human race. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we all have. But... But by and large, well, even economically, I think the argument is pretty clear cut that the arts is is a net contributor mm. uh, to the economy rather than a, uh, a detractor from it. I think I it generates many far thousands more thousands into the economy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, it generates far more money than it, than it requires from the taxpayer in terms of uh, and in terms of export and and all that sort of stuff. It's it's it's, it's quite uh, dramatically mm. uh, over delivering. I have investment. a feeling most anybody who does listen to this podcast is probably going to agree with us. Yeah, yeah. I just had that moment of, oh, I've just been shouting in the choir's face for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Oops. Oh, for sure, for sure. But but again, I guess that's where uh, we do owe it to ourselves to some degree to engage what we've been talking about all along with that that notion of critical thought and mm. saying, okay, well, who's got the counter argument? That we think has any virtue, and uh, and and in what way does it have virtue? You know, mm. mind you, you know. I mean, look at look at my life now. Maybe they were right. Maybe I should have been <laughs> a scientist. Sad piano. 
I should start doing that. Just the, the, the sad violin music every time I start getting too self-reflective. <laughs> Although all may, can... maybe, maybe I should have been a scientist. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> said it was easy. That's the first time and hopefully the last time Coldplay will be referenced on Bang on the Strollers. <laughs> Talking about a transition. 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 How's your muse? How's muse? There's a couple of things I'd, I would love to have the opportunity to to get some clear air to uh, to write on to explore yeah. but that's always the always the problem is getting enough time in a row to go you know what I don't have to stop after two hours I'm and run so off and do this or that I can't tell you how happy I am to hear you say that because yeah. I think I worry that I'm just really fucked at it. Oh, I'm really fucked at it too. You are, and so am I. Yeah, but you need a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's it's like yeah, but you've got this pocket of time and that pocket. So no, I just need to some time in a yeah. row. Yeah, I need uh, for mine. If I'm if I'm looking at an idea and and sort of I, I open up its little hood and I start to look at where it's oh that that works to there and that goes to there and all that sort of stuff and I do that for a couple of hours and then get called away to something else. If I come back to that after a day, I'm going to be lifting the hood again and go, hang on, where was I? Which bit connects to the, which bit again? Mm. And you really, it, it, it makes for excruciatingly slow progress because you just don't have enough. And everyone, I think, understands this who's ever done a job. Um, oh, yeah. You, you, you've got you a get week. momentum. Yeah. You, you get uh, time on it in a row and you get into that situation where you can, where you start knocking over things and it feels good. But you, you've got to... Unlock the door first. Yeah, it's like that's why everybody takes fucking ages on a Monday morning because it takes them a while to go, what the hell was I doing last yeah. week? What yeah. was the, There's been a few days gone in between then. Hang yeah. on, I need to work out where I am again. I'm but, still trying to work out my own metaphor of why I'm unlocking a door and then knocking over things. <laughs> um, um, I don't, I don't um, know where Jesus I am. Jesus in the temple? Yeah, I'm, maybe I'm driving out the moneylenders. That'll be what it is. It's the only thing I can think. It may not have been doors. but Either that or I'm entering a china shop with, you know, a pair of horns. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so... Yeah, it, getting that that time is, is, is a, a thing I want to do. But then again... I, I know that that is in part just a, a lack of discipline in the sense of just not going, okay, here, I have, you know, three hours this afternoon. Right, let us block out that three hours. Here is that time. Mm. Uh, rather than I think everyone who has a, a, a schedule that sort of goes here and there and, oh, a bit over here and a bit over there and all that sort of stuff uh, can understand that, that – uh, when you do have that three hours that finally opens up or the, all that sort of stuff, that you go, I'm not going to fill that with working on this idea. I want to fill it with sitting on the couch. Mm. I've been running about from there to there to there for the last little while. You yeah. know? I want to read a book. You or, fall uh, over. Yeah. But then you look at your life and sort of go, holy crap, I haven't written a song for this long. Yeah. You know, that was what this year, because I hadn't written a show since 2014 with MDMA. Uh, I didn't write the show with a drug. Um, I wasn't under the influence of anything. That was the modern day made an art <laughs> acronym. But, yeah, I, I, I when I had to write Fox Ponsing this year and just went, I, there's three old songs in there yeah. that were up, that were never in shows. Yeah. Um, but I just wrote randomly here and there and then went, it's been a long time since I've done some writing. Um, but I've got, yeah, same, I've got a couple of ideas I really want to work on. But I've just got to sit down and go, right. Let's do this thing. Yeah, yeah. And but and I, I do tend also to go, well, if I'm not making the time for that idea. Is it gonna is it a worthy? Yeah, yeah, because surely it would it would make its presence felt if that were the case. But uh, yeah, but sometimes they it, yeah, it won't go away as well. It yeah, just yeah. keeps going, oh. And sometimes you've just got to force it in order to go, ah, there it is. Well, you had to sit me down and sort of go, just write, write anything, just write anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's shit, just going to write something. Yeah. And that does work in, when you're um, preparing a show, I think, because you'll end up just, just force something out, shit something out and put it right there and just go, there it is. Well, because then you can at least look at it and go, no, that's completely wrong. Yes. And you go, ah, 
okay, I'm better off than I was because now I know what's completely wrong. Yeah. Now I know um, now I know what it looks like when I've gone 180 degrees in the wrong direction. I therefore now know what direction it should be going in. Well, you said that you actually, when you sat down to write uh, Keating, that you kind of went, okay, I'm going to do a song in this style, a song in that style, a yeah. song in that style, which is almost exactly what you were telling me writing your other voice yeah, as yeah. well. It's like just if you can't think of anything, just pick pick a style and go for well, it. Well, particularly because with musical styles, I find some of them so evocative for certain emotions, you know. Yes. And if a song's going to pop up and be, oh, okay, this song is about longing. And mm. say, well, okay, what does longing what, what, so, that, what style what, of music? What does that sound like to yeah. me? When I, when I want to hear a song about longing, when I think of beautiful songs I know about longing, when is I want to, you know. Is it Coldplay? No, not Coldplay. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'm I, longing. I do think acoustic guitar and I think <laughs> of something that's maybe maybe it's finger-picked or something like that. Maybe yep. it's at a dinner. Okay, so now I'm moving in the direction of that's what it's going to be. I'm going to find a chord that's like a bit lulling and all that sort of stuff and going... Uh, and then, of course... Which is not to say that that is the right way to go. That's just a way to go. Yeah. You know, start it, write it, and see what happens. Because uh, it might be that, that the next time you're writing it out, you go, I need longing, and what it really needs to be is this bone-dry metal. <laughs> I really, really want your baby. You know, blues-based thing. Yeah, now I'm imagining heavy metal Coldplay. Yeah. Like no death metal cold. Nobody said it was easy. <laughs> I walked in and you were playing your cold chisel in Spanish. What's oh, it called again? Cortafrios. <laughs> so that I can't see why we can't do Norwegian death metal versions of Coldplay. It might be a vast improvement. Look oh. how it shines for you. It's too easy to pick on, Chris. It's just too easy. <laughs> Oh. I'm telling you, Cortafrios is going to be huge. Is Spanish just, language cold chisel band. Is it just you at the moment, though? It's just you. <laughs> the band? Is it just you? <laughs> it is, but I've got, I, I do have potential collaborators. I have people who've put their hands up and said they want to be part of Cortafrios, the live experience, <laughs> which will be great. That's, uh, that's like an eight or nine piece band, I think. We, that, we can't make any profit out of that. Transition. I love the thin white ukes who only do Bowie songs yes. on three ukuleles, one bass ukulele, the kind of slightly big one. They are just amazing yeah. performers. You know, three-part harmonies and three ukes doing Bowie. Stay with me. <laughs> They're very good. But they play very, very well. You yeah. Know. I, the, they came, well. I did a 774 hosting thing and they came in and played Sorrow, I think, or something like that. They're terrific. No, though Sorrow isn't a Bowie song, but anyway. <clears throat> It bugs me. <laughs> really bugs me. Really bugs me. I did a show once where I was supposed to be, we're only doing, um, oh God, I'm going to give it away. I might have to edit this out as well. But like um, uh, the, the the Divine Cabaret when we just did Neil Hannon. Yeah. And, um, and one, uh, Paul Carlos, Paul Carlos, who's been a guest on the show. Uh, oh, I hope you won't hate me for saying this, but he, he kept kind of bringing in I must say this... that's Carlos Zaid, not Paul Carlos, which folks might have thought. Poor Carlos. Oh, yes. <laughs> Poor Carlos Said, who, who kept bringing in this song because he really wanted to do it and Neil Hannett had covered it and we just kind of had to keep going. It's not – we're doing a show of the songwriters. The songs of. We, we're not going to – and it just kept it, – it kept coming up though. Yeah. And then it got to this point where the magnificent Mark Jones, who's one of the biggest influences on my career, <laughs> just went to you. Do you read her emails? Because this has come up a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please. So that I have the same thing with sorrow when, when, yeah. there's, when there's David Bowie, when there's David Bowie tributes and some. Uh, it's just not his song, guys. <laughs> well, it's not his song like but Dancing he, he, in the Street yeah. is his song, but you know. Oh, but that too. <laughs> Why did you bring that up? There's a stink in the air now. <laughs> South America <laughs> on the streets of <laughs> What are you doing, guys? Why did you think that was a good idea? That oh, was look, just two mates who look, got together. They, yeah, they, and they were having fun. It they was for a good fun. cause. So, and look at all look at all the joy in the remixes of the video clips that we've seen. Yeah, like the one with no music. <laughs> no and music just is terrific. Sound effects. <laughs> You know what? That's what I love about that's as hard as it is that that our um. 
our industry has kind of dissipated because we can do so much stuff ourselves because technology's got so good. It's so great when someone just does a bonkers thing like take the music off the film clip to Dancing in the Street and just put sound effects in. People keep doing stuff like that. Jeez, it brightens your day when it you does. see stupid stuff like that. They're lovely. <laughs> You're looking at your iPad. What's happened? Are we, I am. I'm just keeping track of the things. Uh, well, it's... It, it's uh, oh, my gosh. We don't know. It's all still in the air. Yes, it is. And it's uh, going to come crashing down on our heads. Yes, it could well do. Casey. Hey, thanks, mate. That's all right. It's a pleasure, GQ. It's, Always a pleasure. It's great. I love coming to visit. And um, seeing your beautiful house uh, and that you've always got some fucking song playing when I turn up and you're always like, come here, listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Something very stupid generally. Something very stupid. No, but that was mostly today because (laughs) I've got an old sort of crappy uh, stereo system at at the back of the room and I've just hooked it up to the sound card outputs as well now so I can do... Here it is on the front speakers, which are the monitors, and here it is on the, the crappy stereo yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I can get a good sense of that. I learned so much from you. Thank you for sitting down. And that sounded sarcastic. It actually wasn't. I, I really <laughs> I really meant that. I took it sarcastic. I, I, I thought it was sarcastic. Oh, don't I, I live my yeah. life in fear. I, everything comes out of my mouth. I was like, oh, my I God. I mean, fuck you, Quinn, to turn <laughs> up here and then be so brazenly sarcastic. <laughs> Um, Thanks very much, Casey Bonetto. You're welcome, Geraldine Quinn. Thank you. Can you believe I got all the way through a podcast without hanging shit on ukuleles? I know, I seem to be a changed woman. What would change me even more and for the better is if people subscribed, shared the podcast and rated it positively on iTunes. It would really, really help. But before we go, here's a snippet of a conversation Casey and I were having about huge guitars. As you do... I've never seen one in the flesh before. I find them very fascinating, much better than like tiny guitars. I haven't seen, um, I don't think I've seen uh, one of the Mexican ones. I've seen a, 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 a Polish one or an oh. East, East German one in Dresden, uh, a busking troupe playing it and one of the guys had one of those huge guitars and it was really big, low, resonant notes. And then we've got ukuleles and they're fucked. <laughs> I really hate them. I'm sorry. I, everyone You should that. be apologising. There's lots of Bang on the Strillers listeners, I'm sure, who have, who have their ukuleles out as part of their acts or uh, have their favourite ukulele numbers. Yeah, that's true. Maybe this is an edit point. <laughs> Maybe. 